this morning I'm excited because I, and you guys can be excited maybe too, I'm not teaching this morning. So uh, you guys get to hear from a friend of mine who I actually only recently met because uh, a couple from our church, Jonathan and Ruth Ann Lewis, uh, went with one of our partner uh, organization ministries that we support called Children of Promise that you're going to hear a little bit more about this Sunday. Uh, said, hey, I had this couple uh, come on a trip with you. I'd love to meet you. And then it was bad when he figured out that he knew my dad, which was really hard for him to not hold that against me. Um, but I've gotten to know Kirk Bookout uh, over the last uh, probably six months, maybe even longer than that now, and uh, just an amazing man of God who is super passionate about this ministry called Children of Promise and super passionate about this idea of all of God's children, regardless of where they come from, to be invited to the table because they are loved by the God of all the universe. So, would you guys please welcome my friend Kirk Bookout as he's going to talk about Children of Promise in the table. Thank you, Aaron. Your pastor has, I think of you as a friend. I don't come through Kokomo without asking him if he would like to eat because eating is my spiritual gift that I excel in, I think. And... Uh, he, for me, is an absolute joy. I thought as I was here today and meeting some of you and meeting your worship team, uh, I was thinking, uh, boy, this is going to be a blessed day. And I feel like I'm already too late to say that. The worship, I, I was able to worship, which was a beautiful thing. I am so excited to be here and I have the opportunity to talk with you about something that I love, children of promise. I started at Children of Promise about six years ago, a little bit over six years ago. And I can remember once I accepted the invitation to come to Children of Promise, I called a friend of mine and uh, I was telling him, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to be at Children of Promise. And on the phone, he said, well, what's Children of Promise? He's a Baptist, but I forgive that. <laughs> and... And so I explained that Children of Promise, and by today's terms, we're in 30 countries around the world. We're among the poorest of the poor. We help children daily and long-term. Lives are changed. It's the most exciting thing. And my friend on the phone, Scott, said, Well, just what are you doing for American kids? I have two answers for that. If you give me attitude, I probably will give you my first answer. And he gave me attitude. So I said, Scott, I am, I'm so glad you asked that because I didn't know how much you cared about American kids. What are you doing to help American kids? And he decided that was a good time to end the phone conversation. <laughs> and he was happy and I was happy. But that's a fair question to ask because the church should be involved locally and regionally, but also around the world. When Jesus was departing this earth, the last words that he said were the words that are on the screen behind me right now, recorded in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I, I just want to pause here for just a moment to say that I have never read that as if it's the Ten Commandments. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and get out there and be my witnesses. The way I understand that, at least in my life, is if the Holy Spirit is in our life, the very presence of God is guiding and directing our life. If we are His people and He rules our life, 
Of course we're going to be his witnesses. We are his witnesses in everything that we do and every day. And we're going to be your witnesses, Lord, in Jerusalem, which was right where they are, which today we could say you'll be my witnesses in Kokomo in the greater area. He said Judea and Samaria, which is the general area around them. I think it's both interesting. So that could be Tipton (laughs) or the state of Indiana or the United States. But I think it's interesting that Jesus said you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Judeans were like the people he was talking to. Samaritans uh, were a different breed of people. And so he's saying you'll be my witnesses to a greater area to people who are like you and people who are not like you and to the ends of the earth. And I want to begin today by saying thank you. You may or may not know this. Some of you who are here today, sponsor children, children of promise. We have 18 children at Children of Promise whose lives are changed every single day that are from this church, from 11 different countries around the world. And on behalf of those children that aren't here, who can't say thank you personally, I am so thankful to you and your church that you have been a part of what I believe to be just an amazing and great ministry. I learned about that. We sponsored a child before I was ever with Children of Promise. But after I went to Children of Promise, I learned so much. One of my very first trips that I made for Children of Promise was to Asia, to the country of Bangladesh. And Bangladesh is a very poor country. I can remember we went down a highway and then we went down a dirt road and then kind of a path in our vehicle. And we got out of the vehicle and we walked about a half a mile behind that boy on the screen to get to the village. The leader was telling us as we were heading there that this village is a village of people in Bangladesh who are called untouchables. Some of you know what that means. But I asked him in Bangladesh, what does that mean? And the leader said, this is true of about 80% of the population. They believe that if you are born an untouchable, you are born worthless. You have no value. If you are born an untouchable, you are unworthy of being helped. And when you die, it will not matter. You are totally worthless as a human being. And so we are walking into a village of people who every single day of their life, all around them, worthless, you have no value, your life and your death mean nothing. You can go to the slide of the village there. What would you do if you had been on that trip with us? We are in 30 countries around the world. We're among the poorest of the poor And once every three years, we go, at least once every three years, we interview every child that is in our program. And so we're going into this village with a small group of us who are going to talk to these children through translators. And so as we sat with the translators, we did what I believe you would have done in every way that we could think through our words, through the way we expressed ourselves, We wanted those children to know that they had value in the eyes of God and that they had value in the eyes of God's people, that they had infinite worth, that their lives did matter. And we spent about two hours in that village and 
in every way through translators, non-verbally, through eye contact, through expressions, through every way that we could think of in those two hours, we wanted the people in that little village to know your life matters. It is important. And then it was time for us to get in our vehicle and leave. Several things happened to me as I walked back towards the van that we were in. One of the things that happened to me is I immediately started thinking of scriptures where Jesus talks in the Old Testament, the New Testament talks about the worth and the value of people, but also our call from God as his witnesses to make a difference in the lives of people. One of the scriptures I thought of, and I'm only going to give you one little piece of it, is a story that Jesus told about the day we will be called before the king and he will separate the sheep from the goats. And to those that he welcomes into the kingdom, he says, the king of everything says, truly I say to you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And as I walked back to the van, I thought about the sponsors who are reaching into a little place in Bangladesh in the middle of nowhere to children who are told they are worthless. And what they did for those children, they are doing for the king. I thought of other scriptures, like one of my very favorite passages of scripture. And this describes what your church is doing. It's from Isaiah 58, where in Isaiah 58, verse 10, he says, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. That is what you are doing. Those of you who sponsor children, that is what your church is doing corporately. As you're part of a bigger family making a difference around the world, your light is shining in the world. And I thought about scriptures like Luke 14. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do so, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please, excuse me. Another said, 
I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please, excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. So that my house will be full. In many ways, what you do, what we do, is go out and invite people to the banquet. I suppose I should say now that we do have children out in the narthex, some profiles of children. Most of the children are $32 a month. I bought a cup of coffee a day today for $1.32. The sponsor child is a dollar and a nickel a day for most of those children. We have rules about the table. Oh, not rules for you, rules for us. And the number one rule that we go by is we never pressure someone to do anything. So you can come and look at the table and no one's going to come up to you and and try to put pressure on you to do anything. But if you want to look, you're more than invited to. I see what we do as inviting people to the banquet. Around the world, when we help children, there are four basic needs that we make sure that we take care of. And when I say we take care of that, I mean you take care of that. You who sponsor children, your church who encourages children to be sponsored. The first thing we do is we promise that there will be nourishing food for all of the children in our program. All of the children in our program need nourishing food. Some of our children, their very survival has depended on children of promise. And we are thankful that that happens. We promise that their health care will be taken care of. Sometimes that's something fairly small, but it can be something really large like chemotherapy or major surgery or a variety of other things. We have an emergency medical fund for things like that. $32 a month will not cover that. The third thing that we promise is really important. In every country that we're in, except for one around the world, in 29 of the 30 countries, the government requires a child to go to school to be able to buy a uniform and to pay some school fees. If you're from a family that cannot even feed your family, how are you going to afford to do things like that? The vast majority of the children who are in the Children of Promise program would not be able to go to school. And if you went around the world and you talked to our 30 national leaders, we have no American employees around the world We have over a thousand volunteers around the world so that more resources can get to the children. But if you go to our directors of these programs, all of them would say that the biggest key to break the cycle of poverty, to have the chance for a new life, is education. 
And now the children get to go to school. And my, we have produced pastors and teachers and doctors and lawyers and nurses and government workers. We have one girl who worked for the president of her country. And we have some who go out and buy a used sewing machine maybe and have a small business. But all of the children are given the hope of the possibility of breaking that cycle of extreme poverty, which not only makes a difference in the life of those children, but generations to follow. Not only that, we see the children who have graduated from school. And Kyle Hayes, who is his missions pastor in, in Salem, has visited the programs. And he goes into churches and he sees young, healthy, educated, dedicated young people who have emerged as the next generation of leadership around our programs in the world. And they're all children of promised kids. Their lives touch kids too. Education is a really important thing. Every child in our program goes to school and every child in our program goes to church and hears about Jesus Christ. They are discipled in the faith and told about a God who does give them value, that their lives have eternal worth and he bids them to come to the table because there is a banquet for them too. Oh, is an amazing thing to see that. And in a little bit, you'll hear... Uh, Jonathan and Ruth Ann in a video talk about their experience of going to the Philippines and what they saw with their own eyes. So as I'm walking back to the van, I am profoundly thankful to think that there are people who are children of the King who care enough to make a difference in the life of another person that they may never know or may never meet except through the letters that are exchanged. It's an amazing thing and a beautiful thing. It's a sad and tragic thing. And it is a thing that is full of hope. And as I went back to the van, I also had another thought. I wanted to talk to my pastor. In my church in South Meridian, Anderson, Indiana, I'm a lay person. So I get to talk to my pastor. And I made an appointment with him because food is, is my spiritual gift. We had breakfast. And I said to our pastor, Pastor, I want our church to be a Children of Promise church. And he looked at me and he said, well, Kirk, we sponsor a lot of children out of our church already. And I said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I went back after being in Bangladesh and seeing the differences made. And I said to our pastor, I want our church to be a Children of Promise with slightly different definitions with different understanding of the definition of words and within our own culture and our own society. I want our church to be a church that feeds people. Now, our church at South Meridian does do that physically and literally. But it's also true that you can be fed. You can come to the banquet in many different ways. And we are fed by God in many different ways. I can remember a couple years ago, we have people who who have moved to Kokomo on a missionary journey from Napanee. I can remember the first time I went to Napanee to speak. Someone came up to me before church and said, feed us today. You know exactly what that means, don't you? We all need to be fed, and I want our church to be a place where people come and they are fed. I want our church to be a place where people find healing. We pray for those who who have physical needs and need Physical healing, that's true. But I will tell you, at least in my life, the healing that I need in my life has nothing to do with the disease. 
It has nothing to do with something that has happened to my body. Most of the healing that I have needed in my life, you will never see from the outside. And I can shower and I can dress up nice and it can look like I have everything together. But many of us carry things on the inside that we need healing from. Perhaps it's the background we came and how we were raised and it was a very hurtful sort of thing. Perhaps there's forgiveness that needs to be given and accepted. Perhaps there have been people who have betrayed us. Perhaps we have done things that we cannot undo. Perhaps every day when we go to work, there's somebody who lets us know everything that we are not. Many of us who are in this room today carry things that we need healed. Pastor, I want to go to a church where I can discover the healing power of Jesus Christ in my life. And I will say to you, I have. And there's still more healing to come. In American terms, for our society, I want our church to be a place where people are taught. We know that there is a road that we walk, and if we walk that road, it leads to a full and abundant life. If we follow the way of the Lord, that it leads to life that is complete. That if we follow that path, there is eternal life that is there for us. Pastor, I want to go to a church. I want our church to be a place to where people are taught to walk that road and what brings health. The discipline of walking that road does not confine us, but it sets us free. Oh, pastor, I want to go to a church like that. I want our church to be intentional about that. And we are. Mostly, though, I told him I wanted to go to a church where I could come and be loved. That when I walk through the doors of the church, when I'm at my very best and everything seems wonderful, there are people there who welcome me and rejoice with me. When I'm going through pains in life, or I feel worthless, or I have stumbled and I have messed up in life, and a lot of people know I've messed up, is it possible that there is some place that I can go and I'm still welcome to a table? That I can bring my strength and my weaknesses and the things I've done right and my failures and my sin. And there is a place where I'm loved and wanted. Is there a place like that? And I know that there is. Bangladesh is a culture that by and large accepts the notion of untouchables. Those people who are somehow not worthy and worthless. We don't have class society like that in America. We don't have a class of people that we just say, oh, you're totally worthless, and from the moment they're born to the moment they die, they don't matter at all. Except that's not completely true. All around us in this community of Kokomo, all around us in Indiana, all around us in the world, there are people who understand what that means. Debbie and I, Debbie's my wife and I, have two children. One of our children, a daughter, she's 40 years old now, which is, I consider, uh, must be a miracle because I think I'm 35 on the inside. (laughs) How did this ever happen to us? But when Karen, our daughter, was born, it wasn't too long after that that we discovered that there was something different about Karen. Now, frankly, that's not a real picture of Karen. But, But we could tell there's something 
going on with her. And then after a while, we discovered through going to hospitals and doctors that that she had disabilities. There were things that were holding her back. Karen can learn, but she can't learn as fast as most people. Karen can retrieve the things that she has learned, but she can't really retrieve it as fast as most people. And Karen, even now at 40, in some ways she's a mature 40-year-old woman. In some ways she's still 11 years old. And so emotionally she's not developed like many people expect people to develop. I've watched my daughter as she has grown through the years. And if I could sum it up with one thing, I think I would go back to the first grade. By the way, are there any teachers in here? Oh, good. My wife is a teacher. And I actually ran, I'm saying this only for you. You're the center of the universe right now. I once ran for the school board on the platform of our teachers need more and more support, not more and more problems. I got slaughtered. (laughs) So I love teachers. But Karen went to a class, and you'll get this. It was a first-year teacher, and she had 20-some children in the classroom, and she, she's got them all alone for the first time in her life. And if you're a teacher, you know this, even if you haven't thought about it intentionally. If you're a teacher, there are standards that you have to meet, more and more standards as time goes by. But one of the standards is if you have kids in a first grade, one of the standards is you've got to help them to move along so that they're ready for the second grade. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Except this poor first-year teacher, overwhelmed by the children in her first year, and, and talked to a teacher about their first year. She didn't know what to do with this one little girl who wasn't keeping up with the class. And she wasn't able to bring up the answers fast enough even when she knew them. And probably even worse than that, emotionally, she was not really ready for the first grade. She wasn't developed enough emotionally to behave appropriately all the time. And so we had several meetings, and the teacher tried and tried. And then one day, out of frustration, the teacher moved my daughter's desk away from all the other children. She put a big masking tape box around my daughter's desk and told her she could not leave the box. So there she was in the class, different from everybody else, separated from everybody else. And that went on until I found out about it. And then it stopped. But I have watched my daughter grow up over the years. And I have watched people, some who are are generally kind to her, and then they move on. A large number of people do their very best to ignore her. There have been some who have been cruel. The first job she had, the manager of where she worked thought it was He thought it was funny to kind of bring the the group of employees together in a standing meeting, and he would make fun of Karen about how Karen was moving too slow or not learning fast enough or how, how she did things among work and would make jokes and everybody would laugh about it and think it was great. Karen didn't think it was great. I have watched as through her life, she has lived a life mostly of isolation of friends, And she knows that she's separate from everybody else. I will tell you this. There are some in this room who feel just like that. And there ought to be some place, some place where they're welcomed. Some place where hurting people can come 
and some place where people are hungry and they can be fed. I know where that place is. Oh, and I've seen it. I won't tell you long stories about these other two. But I've seen it. I, I once visited a woman in Ohio. I would visit her every time I got near her. She told me the last time I, I was in her home that that I was the first person who had crossed the threshold of her house in four months. She had given her life to the church. She had worked. She had never married. She had lived alone. And now she she was older and she couldn't give her life to the church and she couldn't get out so easily. I sat down in her house and she told me, it would be better for me if I would just die. And ultimately, that would be true. I will tell you this. Through no, nothing that I did, there were some people who became aware of her and they would go to her house once a week and they would sit down and just talk with her once a week for an hour. And they would remember old times and they would talk about what was happening in the news and and things they were doing. Sometimes they would take her to Bob Evans to go out to eat or run over to Walmart for her. And do you know why they did that? Because they believed that we should go out and invite people to the table. And that she needed to know that she was part of a banquet of people who came and brought their needs to the table. She was loved and cared for and not forgotten. Our church, South Meridian in Anderson, Indiana, is in a transition community. And it means that, that there's a huge poverty level around our church. There's many dysfunctional families, single families. There's drugs on the streets around our church. We've had a guy, a teenager, arrested with a gun in our parking lot. It is going downhill fast. And many of the children, there are good families, but many of the children who are raised in the neighborhood around our church are raised by people who haven't figured out things in their own life. It's almost children raising children. They're raised in families who have never taught values or the release that comes in discipline or right or wrong. And they're out on the street. One person actually told me that these kids, they are such a problem. He said they're a waste of DNA. Really? Really? Let me tell you something about those dysfunctional kids on the street. They never got to choose who their parents were. Just like the children in Bangladesh or the Philippines or the other 28 countries did not get to choose where they were born, those children didn't get to choose either. And there ought to be somebody who sees worth and value and care about people who need worth and value and care And there is a banquet that is there, and we should invite them to the banquet. This is a very personal thing to me. It's a very personal thing because in many ways, I spent some of my life feeling like I was one of those kids. I was raised, uh, I was raised in a, my mom and dad were wonderful people. He, my dad was a businessman. He was known for honesty and doing great work and being upfront and straightforward. But my parents didn't go to church at all. And they, they, they were kind of coarse. They didn't graduate from high school. My mother, I think, could make a sailor blush if she couldn't make a sailor faint with some of her vocabulary. Uh, she, she was very creative. <laughs> and, 
And my dad was a contractor. So this contractor of kind of a rough family, good but rough family, had four boys. And we were raised kind of in a rough environment. In fact, we got a reputation in our neighborhood that you didn't mess with us. Back then, I was 6'4", and I was made out of iron. That was the reputation. Don't mess with the book out, boys, or it would turn out bad for you. Uh, I remember I used to work for Church of God Ministries, the National Offices Church of God. The first day I walked into the building, a woman walked up to me who grew up in my neighborhood and said, you're one of the book out boys. I said, yep. And she said, you were trouble and turned around and walked away. <laughs> Welcome to Church of God Ministries. Let, let me give you just, I'll add two minutes and when I can remember one time a kid moved in the neighborhood my age, but he stood about four inches taller than I was, and he decided he was going to establish his territory. So he found me and beat me up to establish his territory. Well, I knew what to do. I knew my mom. So I went home to my mom, and I knew my mom would call his mom, and we would get things straight. And when I told my mom what happened, she looked at me for a moment, and she said, get out of this house. You go back there and you beat that boy up and don't you come home. You can't come home until you do it. I'm not going to have any boy of mine running around this neighborhood afraid. And I was afraid. I was a lot more afraid of my mom than I was that boy. And so I went and I found that boy and he thought we were in a fight. I was fighting for my life, for a place to live, to go home. And so he beat me up and I kept fighting. He beat me up and I kept fighting. Finally, he wore out. And and I won. And I was able to go back home. Now, I will say as an aside, he never bothered me again. And I do parenting conferences if it, <laughs> or not. But, but that's kind of how I was raised. There was a kid in the neighborhood, Glenn Weitzel, who invited me to come to you. We'd play basketball every day and, and come to church. Uh, we're doing a youth group party tonight. Come to that. Hey, Wednesday night's a lot of fun. Hey, we're doing an overnighter. Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. There's a, going to be a concert. And on and on and on. Every time we play basketball, come to church, come to church, come to church. And I went to church. And I discovered something that I didn't even know existed. I saw something in the lives of the youth group and of the people in the church. I saw something that I wanted and the entire course of my life was changed. Because of that boy who invited me to a banquet that I didn't even know existed. So one day I go to church. And as I walk into church, there's a woman there. I got there a little early and she's kind of from my neighborhood. And she recognized me. She said, Kirk, come on over here for a minute. I want to talk to you. I went over and she looked at me and said, Kirk, I want you to know this. We don't really need people like you in this church. I knew in less than one second that she was wrong because so many people had shown care for me. So many people had welcomed me. So many people dealt with all the ways that I didn't know how to behave in church. So many people invested their life in me and each and every one of them invited me to the table. And I knew that I was wanted at the table. I knew that was true. And as I grew older, I knew this also. She needed to come to the table too. She needed to be fed and healed and taught and loved. 
This is what I believe. This is a place that in your community, among your family, among your friends, among the people you work with, among those you've never even met yet, there are people who need to be invited to the banquet. Come, come, come to the table where you will be fed. And your church is called by our Lord to reach beyond simply your community, but that your influence can reach further than that. And you are called by your God to reach around the world. Imagine that. A little place like Kokomo, Indiana. And there are people around the world. And this is true. Because you have 18 children associated with this church. People around the world who have come to the banquet because of you. We come to the banquet and we're invited. I have seen that in my life locally. I want you to see it as you look around the world. Watch this video. Jonathan, and this is Rick Dan. And we've been coming to South Creek for over 20 years. So in 2010, Children of Promise visited our church here, and after the service, uh, they had a selection of children's brochures on the table, and I picked up one and thought, we should do this. Uh, so we started regularly supporting this child. Her name is Angeline, and uh, we thought this is great, but as the years go by, you you kind of wonder if this child is real, if this is a real person, does she have a real past, a real family, and am I doing any good for this child and her family? And we'd also always write letters once or twice a year to her, and she would write back, and then we'd always get a picture of her each year as she grew. So we did have a way of knowing that this is a real child, but still as the months go by, there's there's not a large connection, not a, not a good connection. So in one of Angeline's letters, she mentioned, this might have been two or three years ago, she mentioned that she enjoyed cooking food and that someday she'd love for us to come visit so that she could fix us something to eat. And at that time, I thought when I read that, I realized, is that even possible? I didn't even think about that even being a possibility to visit our, our child that we sponsor. Um, so we started talking about it and we we asked Children of Promise if that's even a possibility. So then we, we started praying about it, thinking about it, and we felt like we should do this. So uh, it worked out to go as a volunteer to help interview the children and their families on a trip. And during that trip, we were able to meet our, our child, meet Angela. And it was really cool because when we saw her, we'd gone to several places. And when we went to see her, it was in a big gymnasium and there's a bunch of kids and super hot. It's very warm. <laughs> and we're all sweating. And I saw her from a distance. And I think I might have recognized her first. And 
and then she saw us and we hugged and we both started crying and it was just such a sweet experience a special to, connection, special to see her connection to have supported someone for so many years and had an impact on their family and then to see to see that to have that connection was was unexpected it was an unexpected blessing for sure understand until I got there and was visiting with the children and their families is the impact that my few dollars a month as an American had on this child and on their family and their community and their school just it just gave them hope and a future because the child has to go to school and they have to go to church so this program is impacting these children uh, their lives and their training and their futures uh, in a huge way. Again, it's, it's not about going and having a vacation because uh, it was not a vacation. It was not relaxing and uh, <laughs> laying on the beach or anything like that. It was more of an experience. I think what this has meant to me is is that in my little life here in America, I can do something small and have a huge impact in a child's life and in their family's life. And that's a revelation to me, and I want to continue doing that. I want to continue sponsoring when our child uh, graduates. I want to continue on with it and choose another child. If you're interested in sponsoring a child through Children of Promise, I would say it's a wonderful opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to someone that you don't even know. And, and it's a blessing to you as well as to them. Probably a bigger blessing. Probably a bigger blessing to us, probably. And, and we're just doing a little thing to just love on someone that, that could use a hand up. Because and not can. a handout. Because we can. Because we can. And we're so thankful that we've been blessed in America. And if, if you feel God uh, touching your heart to sponsor a child, I would say, say yes to God. You know, I was sitting here thinking as my son is sitting next to me, coughing on me, because that's what kids do. As Kirk was telling the story of his daughter, um, and it choked me up. You know, any of us who have children uh, understand we would do anything for them. Um, when they hurt, we hurt. When they win, we get to celebrate with them. It just made me think about the picture of God, who is a good father, who when his children hurt, he, he hurts too. And, and when they are taken care of, I, I know there's nothing in this world that you could do to love me more than to the way that you already love my boys. And I think what a great reflection of the opportunity that we have to love God's children, all of his children, regardless of the hand that was dealt to them. So this morning, we're going to have a couple ways to respond. We're going to sing one more song. In a moment, I'm going to invite the ushers forward, and we're going to take up a special love offering for children of promise.
Um, our church, that's one of the ministries that we support. And so we just wanted to do a little above and beyond. But as uh, Kirk mentioned before, out in the table, you won't be pressured. But if you are feeling a tug to do that, I mean, it's it's got me thinking about my, my own family wanting to maybe begin to do that with my boys Um Whatever you're feeling called to do, I also want to put out a plug there. You know, one of the things we've been thinking and trying to be uh, as a church is to really uh, emphasize our idea of go. Uh, And so we're hoping that in the next year or so to maybe possibly be able to do a trip uh, with Children of Promise that would primarily be people from our church to go interview kids. So if you're interested in that, think about that. Um, But whatever God is speaking to this morning, I pray that you have the courage uh, to just try to respond to him, because we really believe in this ministry, really uh, believe in the way uh, that it's impacting uh, the church all around the world, globally and here back at home uh, in raising up leaders. And as a church that we call ourselves a next generational church, what a great opportunity that we may have. Uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and I'm going to ask you all to stand with me as we pray. We'd love to let you know, too, up on the screen you'll see again, uh, if you didn't come prepared and you're like, man, I would love to be able to give, and I'm not sure if I can do a, a sponsor a child yet, uh, we'll also throw up in a minute on the screen, uh, you can text to give even today or go online. We've made a special fund. Uh, for Children of Promise. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep that open for uh, the next week. So if you feel, uh, you know, on Tuesday you're, you're finally remembering that you want to do that, that'll be open. Uh, in any amount of money that goes uh, there, we will get that to Children of Promise. So would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for the fact that, God, we are all invited to the table. We all have worth. We all have value. And God, it's not defined by what others tell us, but it's defined by you. God, this morning, whatever you're doing, stirring in our hearts, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to just take that next step. And God, maybe even for some of us this morning, it's to take the step to realize that we are invited to the table. So God, would we give generously and would we open up ourselves totally to you? God, as we sing this song, Speak to us in whatever way we need to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.